0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and, of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three.
0: Hold on, I've run over my headphones again. Are you ready? Yes, one, two, three,
2: four, five. Okay, welcome back to uh, the box of oddities. I'm Jethro Gilligan Toth. And that lady running over her headphone cord is Kat. Okay, I got him. All right. Y'all Hello. Set? Hi.
0: Okay, I'm ready. I'm
2: really excited about today's episode. I got something that uh, I kind of stumbled upon. I wasn't even looking for this, and I found it while I was researching another topic.
0: Sometimes that happens, and sometimes those end up being the best topics.
2: Well, that remains to be seen. We'll see. I'm excited about it. (laughs) Thanks to everybody who has uh, taken the time to give us a five-star rating and a positive review on iTunes. That helps us to uh, be able to continue to grow this podcast. Um, We greatly appreciate it.
0: Also, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and uh, Smoke Signals. That's what we do.
2: Our website is theboxofoddities.com. Theboxofoddities.com. And by the way, if you have any ideas for topics or subjects on the podcast, uh, you can send your ideas to curator at theboxofoddities.com.
0: Yeah, the powers that be. We'd love to hear your suggestions. Right, our
2: our box of oddity overlord, if you will. Um, okay, so are we going to spin the, the blue glass head again to determine who's going to go first today?
0: Um, well, since neither of us ever seems to have any change, apparently, where did, where did the blue glass head go? It's right here. Yeah, that'll work.
2: All right, here we go. Spin the... Blue glass head, which by the way you posted a picture of on our social media. You get to go first.
0: Ooh, this is very exciting. All right. I like going first because then I get to get my story out and then I just get to sit and listen. <laughs> and it feels more like okay, I've done my job and now I can move on to the fun stuff. Okay. Which I guess sharing is fun too, but I don't know, it's as we've so discussed much. before, it's nice to just kind of sit. I enjoy sitting very much.
2: You are a world-class sitter. In fact, um, you're probably ready to join the pro tour. Thank you. The pro sitters tour.
0: I want to stay at the amateur level, though, because then I can make money.
2: And you can compete um, in the uh, Olympics. Which I guess they, they, they changed that rule anyway. So Did they? Yeah. Oh. You can be a professional sitter and still be in the Olympics.
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't follow the Olympics, as I hate it. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, okay, so here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. Ready? Ready? Mm-hmm. So um, we see all the time new and sometimes strange body modifications, corset piercings, subdermal implants let
2: me just stop you right there this isn't about genital piercing is it because um next to having somebody stick something in their eye that really is the most horrifying thing i can think of
0: piercing no okay i've got tattoos you know but uh today we're gonna talk about the traditional the tribal body mods all right, And there are many I really had to kind of narrow down. I was overwhelmed with information once I started looking um, so much and so incredible. And this is one of those topics that there's definitely going to be uh, photos and links on the Instagram and Facebook and such, because some of it's just it, it's hard to fully grasp without seeing pics. No so. when
2: you mentioned that the first picture that came to my mind was uh, like with the big lip disc.
0: Lip stretching. Is that
2: is that what we're talking That's about here? That's the
0: first thing that we're talking about. It uh, it's a form of body modification that began over 10,000 years ago. And it's been practiced in many parts of the world, from Africa and South America to Europe. At present, the only remaining tribe still practicing lip stretching is the Mercy tribe. And according to the tradition, lip stretching takes place before a Mercy woman gets married. Uh, But only according to her will. It's not one of those forced mods um, she chooses to do it because it uh, makes her more attractive and she's more likely to snag a man depending on how far she can stretch her lip.
2: That's, that's like a, a sign of beauty? That's right. The more you can stretch your lip out, the Correct. more beautiful you are.
0: The procedure starts by piercing the lower lip and then a slender stick is inserted into the small hole. And as time passes, bigger discs made from clay or wood are fitted into the lip hole until it just can't stretch anymore. Um, so you
2: start with like a, like a toothpick kind of thing? Right. And then you, you get to the point where it's like. Right. A,
0: like gauging any other piercing. You know, you start small and then you just stretch it wider and wider until
2: you can get a log in there.
0: Right. Like uh, many forms of body modifications, it's seen as an expression of social adulthood and reproductive potential. Often, (laughs) the size of the plate is correlated with the size of the woman's bride wealth. So you can see how these women persevered until their lips could take plates of up to 12 centimeters or more in diameter.
2: How Uh, much is that?
0: Um. Think about the size of a uh, traditional stove burner. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow.
2: We we do this show in America. If you're listening to this, uh, you know globally, and because of that, we're you know we're probably thought of as idiots because we don't understand the metric system.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, it's different.
2: Yeah. Stove burner, Um, I get.
0: Stove burner, yes. Uh, The smaller one, no, not the big one. Okay. That's (laughs) good. Because that would be crazy. That's something. Um, All right, moving on. Tooth sharpening. Tooth sharpening is a practice of manually sharpening the teeth, usually the front incisors, using a chisel or a knife Uh. to file them into desirable shapes. In Bali, the teeth were filed because they believed that the teeth represented negative emotions like anger or jealousy. Uh, Teeth filing which uh, in some traditional cultures, uh, shamans will perform. They use crude tools and no anesthetic. It's believed to satisfy the soul and make women more beautiful. Teeth filing was used by aborigines for spiritual reasons, as well as a sort of Vietnamese and Sudanese tribes. In Mayan culture, the teeth were sharpened and sometimes designed uh, curved, like... um, Carved designs were carved into the front of them to distinguish upper class and uh, many cultures would sharpen their teeth to imitate animals to say that this is a painful process is an understatement. The, I
2: can't even imagine. I mean I, just the idea of it my in my butthole is like clinching <laughs> shut.
0: <laughs> Multiple people are needed to hold down the person that it's ah. that it's happening to. It, yeah. Some cultures sharpen their teeth to imitate sharks and um, there are some Asian cultures that kick out your teeth to show that you are ready for uh, reproduction. They- Kick them out? Kick them out. Like with their foot? Like with their foot. They
2: hold you down and then and stomp just on your mouth?
0: kick your face until your teeth come out. And this is a ritual for what? It, it shows that you're ready to have the babies. <sighs> Hey, hey. <laughs> okay. Let's all right. Let's respect other cultures. Yes, you know. It's we, weird and I'm tr- different. Tr- I'm trying it's... to do
2: that. I'm trying to remember that it's just a different culture. Right. And that we have our own bizarre rituals. We
0: absolutely do. That
2: uh, we think make us look beautiful. And in reality, when we get a little distance between particular fads, mm-hmm. uh, we realize how stupid they were. It's true. Remember uh, 80s hair? I was just going to say uh, the uh, the big uh, permed hair that I had in the 80s. It was
0: Pretty insane, right? Yeah, those Aborigines would laugh at you.
2: They probably they would be would. like,
0: "Is that a mullet?"
2: But we wouldn't be able Stop to tell it. if they were smiling because all their teeth had been kicked out.
0: Stop. All right, so you've heard of foot binding, of course. Yes. Um, how about skull binding?
2: I have heard of that. Yeah,
0: artificial that- cranial deformation. That's like a
2: it, it's it's appeared not only in Egyptian culture but also like Mayan culture.
0: It's shocking to me how widespread this practice is. You know
2: why? Ancient aliens.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's done by distorting the normal growth of a child's skull by applying force. Uh, intentional cranial deformation predates written history. It was practiced commonly in a number of cultures and so widespread geographically and chronologically, and it still occurs today in a few places.
2: Because would they want to look like their space brothers?
0: In the Americas, the Maya, the Incan, and certain tribes of North American natives performed the custom, some strapping babies' heads to cradle boards to flatten. Um, the practice of cranial deformation was also practiced uh, by the Lucayan, Lucean, mm, there in the Bahamas. And it was thought to have been practiced among the Aboriginal Australians. So a guy named Friedrich Ratzel reported in 1896 that deformation of the skull, both by flattening it behind and elongating it toward the the vertex, was found in isolated instances in Tahiti, in Samoa, in Hawaii, and and in other places. It actually uh, was pretty widespread in Europe as well. Binding heads in Europe in the 20th century, though dying out at the time, was predominant in France and Russia and Scandinavia, all over the place, really. And there is uh, some thought that in parts of France and Europe, it was kind of an accidental thing because they would like pack the baby's head to to avoid head damage like right after birth and then you kind of you know you've messed up their head Uh you can't do that and there's you got to keep rolling them it's the I'm not a mom, but that's apparently what
2: you you've got to keep do. like like keep a hot dog <laughs> on a rotisserie at Seven Eleven. Got to keep rolling them. gotta keep turning yep. them.
0: Yeah, uh, the reasons, of course, <laughs> varied over time and for different uh, different groups, uh, from aesthetic to pseudoscientific ideas about the brain's ability to hold certain types of thought depending on its shape. Which you'd think, you know, ah. that would be something that would occur naturally, but no, you've got to make your head real, real tall in order to be able to think about science. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, is
2: that what it means when they say you got to put your thinking cap on? Because they had to have like special shaped hats, maybe for the smart people. <laughs>
0: yes. Well, there are. I've found some photos of people who who live today with these heads. <laughs> And some are are very cone head looking. Yeah. Some go out backwards, and uh, they have various ways of doing it. As I mentioned, the cradle board, but some use ropes tied very tightly around baby's head to God. to squish it out backwards. It's it's not for me. No. I'm I'm a I'm a roll that baby kind of person. That's <laughs> you're that's... you're a
2: hot dog rotisserie baby kind yes. of person.
0: All right. Neck accentuation. So this one I, I obviously have heard of and you know about. It's the, the, the tribes known with the, the coils on their necks. Yes. Um, but it's actually a little different than I thought it was. The women of the uh, Kayan Lawai tribe in northern Thailand are known for their long necks decorated with coils. And the girls start wearing coils at the age of five. And they increase the number of coils as the children age. Uh, They can get up to a maximum of 25 coils. And the neck, of course, seems elongated. But it's actually not your neck elongating. It's the weight of the coils pressing down on your collarbone. It forces the rest of your body downward. So it doesn't, wow. yeah. And so it's I, and kind of
2: like an optical illusion yeah, in a sense. Yeah.
0: It's just, you know, destroying the rest of your body. No big deal. So uh, I don't know how to pronounce this word L E B L O U H. Le Bloch, Le Bleu, La Bleu, Blah,
2: Blah, Blah, Blah. blah, blah.
0: Tribal fattening. So in parts of West Africa, there exists a practice called le, le, leblou. Le, okay, so it involves the brutal – this is actually horrendous and it's, it was hard to read about. But it's the brutal force feeding of girls at a very early age to achieve proper obese proportions. Uh, at a certain age, the girls are moved into a small hut called a fattening house, and the head fattener plies them with an extreme amount of food and drink, sometimes in excess of 16,000 calories a day. Uh, if, if the girls stop eating, they are beaten or have a limb pinched between two sticks. There's a very specific tool that they use to yeah to
2: keep them eating to
0: keep them eating because they believe that being large in size is a sign of wealth and beauty, and thus the women will have a better chance of finding a husband. So often in in so many of these instances, the the tribal fattening, the uh, lip stretching, there's one uh, that involves nose plugs, and it's all about keeping those ladies mariable. Which um, you know is hard to read, being me and y- well, yeah. and I'm all like, but- I'm not wearing heels for you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, that's exactly right. But we have the the same types of situations, same tr- uh, types of um, body altering for that purpose. You know, in Western civilization, uh, in the form of like say plastic surgery
0: and that actually came up in my in my body mod research. You know that a lot of people don't consider plastic surgery body modification, but it one hundred percent absolutely is because yeah. you're. you're you're modifying your body, <laughs> yeah,
2: to get a man or a woman. Not
0: which, that's not always why. Yeah,
2: yes, I think really at the bottom, at the at the heart of it, that's what it's all.
0: about. Well, I don't think that that's accurate. I think so. I I realize why that does you a think person so?
2: why does a person want to be attractive to attract another person?
0: Maybe on a primal level in in the beginning stages of things, but I don't think that currently. I mean, I don't have tattoos because I think it's going to get a man. Got me. That's gross. No, it did not. My my sexy ass brain got you. No,
2: you're sexy ass.
0: <laughs> oh, stop it. got me. Don't. All right, so finger cutting. Let's move on. Uh, yes. uh, cultures and individuals obviously handle grief in different ways. Some internalize it. Others seek solace in community. Either way, the death of a loved one takes a toll. And for certain members of a tribe in New Guinea, Grief takes the form of a bizarre body mod called finger cutting. So every time a loved one passes, you lose a chunk of your finger. You, you have it like, chopped off ceremonially.
2: So the end of the digit? Yes. Okay. So it's not just you're just cutting it and making a scar. You're actually cutting off.
0: You're cutting off the ends of your fingers. So if you
2: have a big family and they've all died. Correct. Correct.
0: You're done. You're
2: like a stumpy, stumpy. guy. Stumpy,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, and they usually will start with the first knuckle. And that's where you cut down to. And then, of course, you know, as you get older, more people die. So you go down to the second knuckle and various people perform it in various ways. Uh, but there were some older gentlemen who posed with their palms Sans fingers.
2: No fingers at all. No
0: fingers at all. They're just very sad and fingerless. That,
2: you know, that just doesn't seem fair because when you're older, you need all the help you can get. You don't need to be handicapped.
0: Well, I think those – but also in those cultures – uh, the elderly are treated differently they're respected in in a, it's a, a weird way to a,
2: respect them
0: but they also take care of them they they move their family into their homes I mean if they ever moved out e- in the first place
2: easier for them to cut their fingers off
0: but also to care for them and the more that these people have suffered emotionally and physically obviously the more that you respect and you care for them okay right
2: I'm just Going to chalk that up to different culture.
0: Well, yeah, you should. That's that's the way that it works. All right, let's move on to penis splitting. So,
2: whoa! I'm glad you saved that one for last.
0: Penile sub incision is a form of body modification that consists of urethrotomy, in which. The underside of the penis is incised at the urethra and split open lengthwise. I'm
2: sorry, guys.
0: So seen. imagine I'm holding up two of my fingers now, and this is your wiener, right? Yeah. And then they start the cut here.
2: Wait, no, two fingers. If you're going to use my wiener as an example, could you at least use your wrist? Stop it.
0: So, just to
2: make me feel better,
0: the split, of course, can vary in lengths, but in extreme cases, it goes the entire length of the peen. And that means that there. Pee hole is now at the base of their penis, which means they have to sit to urinate. Yeah. Some some men would have like tubes that they would use to pee. It's traditionally performed around the world, notably in Australia, but also in Africa, South America, and Polynesian and Malaysian cultures of the Pacific as a coming of age ritual. There is obviously a long list of disadvantages. You suddenly got very quiet over there.
2: I'm just I had to put my head down for a moment. <laughs>
0: So I have a picture, <laughs> oh, good. and um, going to put
2: that on our website. So that'll drive traffic
0: there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my God!
0: Um, it, it also happens to the some people in the central desert of Australia. It was a rite of passage for young men, and in one culture, those who chose to have it done were the only ones who were allowed to learn a sacred language of their culture which is really interesting and because the practice is no longer practiced that that language subsequently has died out which is really kind of sad i mean i don't i don't i'm not a fan of Genital mutilation, uh, by any means, but it's sad that the parts of the culture have died because you know we don't we don't cut into weens anymore. <laughs> um, there was actually a story about a, a specific culture that, because of where the the en- the end is, you can you can do peeny to peeny when the the hole is all the way down at the base.
2: Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, I do understand what you're so saying. So sure. split a hot sure.
0: dog all the way down to the bottom uh-huh. and then stick a hot dog in the bottom of that hole. Uh-huh. That can happen. And, and that was enjoyable? It's not enjoyable, no. Why it's, would somebody do It's part do of that? A, a rite of passage. Oh, I see. Yeah. And it's uh, apparently pretty painful. I would
2: rather just stick with the so. 80s hair. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you prefer your mullet? I prefer I don't the know. mullet. I I've seen pictures of them mullet <laughs> and there are some of these body mods I would choose over that hair. Oh that my was God. That was really gross. But uh, yeah, that was my last my last body mod. I hope that you enjoyed it. Holy
2: crap. So how long has it been since the whole uh, peen-ween split thing uh, stopped being a rite of passage?
0: It's hard to say because some of these cultures are so removed from, you know, the, the the rest of the world um but there are you know there are photos uh and fairly recent photos of Weens that ha- yeah. have had it done mm. so it, it still happens is what i'm saying but this went on people for, still do it
2: for what thousands of years i don't it's know it's estimated
0: sometime it went on for a while for yep. a
2: long time what was the moment when they said you know what let's stop doing this this that's is a, crazy. That's
0: a really interesting question.
2: <laughs> what was the driving force?
0: Yeah. I bet it was like a guy in the tribe who is like Dave and Dave was Dave, like, "You know yeah. what? No. No, I'm not going to let you hot dog skewer me. I'm keeping everything round and the way that don't flay my peener."
2: Yeah. Yeah, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's Australia. Yeah, I got it. Uh-huh. Oh, so anyway, uh, yeah, I need a moment to recover. Sure. From, from that. Uh, but fascinating stuff. Really fascinating. And, and I
0: love s- how you're saying it. I'm, and you're just as sheet white as yeah, you can be. I've, That's really fascinating. I need, that, a,
2: need a moment. <laughs> All right. That was great, sweetie. Thank you.
0: Some good stuff. Do you want to see a penal sub-incision?
1: No. You're listening to The Box of Oddities. The question is,
2: why? Here are five weird facts really quick. Number five, more people have been killed by molasses than by coyotes.
0: (laughs) In 2015, more people were killed from injuries caused by taking a selfie than by shark attacks.
2: Number three, Betty White is literally older than sliced bread.
0: Billy goats urinate on their own heads to smell more attractive for females. (laughs)
2: Just <laughs> I'm glad we're not Billy Goats.
0: Billy, I can't. I'm. Not, you. You know what I was getting at.
2: And the number one weird fact: uh, more photos were taken in the last two minutes than in the entire 19th
1: century.
0: Wow. Yeah. No, I believe that. Yeah, for sure. I've taken six. The box of oddities.
1: With Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
0: We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I just watched a video of a billy goat peeing on his own face, and he looks really upset about it. He doesn't look pleased with his choice.
2: <laughs> All right, today I'm going to talk about um, encephalitis lethargica. That doesn't sound very exciting,
0: does no, it? Uh, it sounds unpleasant for sure.
2: How about this? The sleeping plague. Okay. That's more catchy. Okay.
0: Okay. I I think I'm somewhat familiar with this.
2: Um, After the First World War, an epidemic of encephalitis lethargica, and by the way, this is according to the U.S. Library of Medicine National Institute of Health. Okay. An epidemic of encephalitis lethargica started in Vienna and spread across the world. Many of those who survived developed a range of um, post-encephalitic syndromes. You've seen the movie Awakenings, the one with Robin Williams?
0: I I don't think I've seen it. I I know of it, vaguely.
2: It's based on a book written by um, a doctor named Oliver Sacks, Mm -hmm. who worked at uh, Mount Carmel, an institution outside of New York, which had 80 patients that um, were still suffering from the sleeping sickness. What happened was they would get this type of encephalitis and many cases, they would just kind of go into a locked-in state or almost a, a coma-like state. Like locked-in syndrome? Kind of like that, yeah. But not just for a little while. For a long time. Here's an example. One of the patients named Rose was struck by sleeping sickness when she was 21 years old. That was 1926. She was out at a party. She was a bit of a party girl. Sure. She was out at a party and wasn't feeling very well. And so she came home and she went to bed and apparently had a really rough night that night. Rose apparently was talking in her sleep. She had a series of dreams uh, about one central theme. She dreamed that she was imprisoned in an inaccessible castle, but the castle had the form and shape of herself. She dreamed of enchantments and bewitchments and she couldn't move. She dreamed that uh, she'd become a living statue of stone.
0: Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. And
2: these are things she was talking about in her uh, feverish state that first night that her her family had overheard and witnessed. Sure. So she went to sleep in 1926 and woke up in
0: 1969. Oh my
2: gosh. That's when. Uh, that's
0: terrifying. Oliver
2: Sacks. I know Oliver Sachs was experimenting with uh, a drug called L-Dopa. <laughs> Why is that funny to you?
1: L-dopa. Uh,
0: uh, um, it's uh, it's uh, When I was young, my mom used to refer to all drugs as L-Dopa.
2: L-Dopa. <laughs> hey, those kids are out behind the Seven Eleven,
0: Smoking the L-Dopa.
2: The L-Dopa.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. This this is, go ahead. This, is, this a different, is serious. This is horrible.
2: Different type of L-Dopa. Sure, different. One of her sisters said that uh, before they took her to the Institute that uh, she looked uh, as if she was trying hard to remember something or, or maybe doing her damnedest to forget something. Whatever it was, it took all of her attention. <sighs> but then she just slipped away slower and slower. And uh, they never saw her beloved kid sister again.
0: <sighs> Awful.
2: So she wakes up in 1969. She can't believe it. Obviously. Yeah. She's like, What? It's 1926 and they said no it's it's 1969 and, and you're no longer 21. you're like 63 or whatever it figures out I'm not, sure, a, math yeah, guy. I'm not a
0: math
2: guy um, She tried to, to to understand it but she just she had not had those 40 some odd years of experience. she still mm-hmm. felt like she was 21 years old and understandably so. She told dirty jokes. she, she wanted to drink bathtub gin.
0: No you don't dear.
2: She st- she was still a flapper during prohibition right. in her mind. And she just could not understand that all these years had gone by.
0: Oh man. That's terrifying because it, like you said that she was having these dreams during her fevered state where she was trapped in a castle that yeah. that looked like her. And I mean, I've been having a lot of peeing dreams lately, and um, her dream came true.
2: So you're afraid that you might pee on the couch.
0: Yeah, yeah, I told you about that one, yeah, yeah, yeah that
2: was a scary dream. It was. We have a new couch. But other than the fact that she couldn't understand where her you know four decades of her life had gone, she seemed to be pretty well adjusted. she She would call out to uh, the doctor, Dr. Sachs, I walked to and from the building today. It was a distance of a couple hundred yards. She says, it's fabulous. It's gorgeous. She really was starting to, at one point, embrace her new life. Sure. But then she would start to slow down, and they would have to give her more and more of the L-DOPA 15 minutes after receiving her medication. Uh, She'd be up again. Her voice was great. She'd be walking fully restored. She'd be cheerful, smiling, talkative, And then she would start to fade again. And it just got to a point where they knew that it wasn't going to to last. One day she said breathlessly, uh, this is from Oliver Sacks' book, I feel great today, Dr. Sacks. I want to fly. I love you, Dr. Sacks. I love you. I love you. You know, you're the kindest doctor in the world. And then the next minute, she'd be, like, yelling at people in her room, like this one person that was drinking out of a water fountain. She, she would yell, Dolores, get away. Stop sucking on that water fountain. We all know what you want to be sucking on.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. she was
2: a saucy flapper. Yeah. Anyway, they, they decided that she uh, just wasn't going to respond, and they stopped giving her the L-Dopa, and uh, she just went back to her stone statue state.
0: Oh, my gosh. Sadly. Wait, there's no happy. She was cool with that.
2: Yeah, she she just decided that she was she was better off because she she couldn't understand where the forty years went.
0: That's terrifying and so sad.
2: Another example is that of Leonard. Now he was portrayed in the movie Awakenings by uh, Robert De Niro. Okay. Okay, but Hollywood kind of sanitized his story
0: as they so often do.
2: In the story, he fell in love with uh, with somebody. And he was very romantic and sensitive and, Mm -hmm. you know, that wasn't really quite the case. When he came out, he was he was uh, he was drooling and he was sweating a lot and he was delusional and had hallucinations. And apparently he uh, once he came because he was he was in that locked in state, that stone statue state for 40 years. He couldn't stop masturbating.
0: Oh, oh,
2: yeah. And they didn't mention that in the movie. No. Yeah he uh, apparently would lock himself in his room and masturbate just chronically all the time. But, you know, to be fair, it had been 40 years.
0: Right, yeah. And And so, I mean, it makes sense that you're sharing his story now because of how you identify with him.
2: Right, I am a chronic masturbator. No, (laughs) seriously, if I I had been sitting there in a chair for 40 years Mm. with my hands folded in my lap and I suddenly wake up, that's the first thing I'd want to do. I'd be like, yeah, just you know, give me some hand lotion and uh, you know a subscription to Pornhub, and yeah, just tootle off, leave me alone. I'll be in here um, bopping the bishop, as the kids say these days.
0: Sure, yeah.
2: No, seriously. I mean, that'd be the first thing I'd think of. But uh, I guess after a while you'd stop. But he didn't. He just, he just. Um, at one point, at one point he he got loose and he went outside and climbed a tree and he was just yelling, "I want a woman!" Oh, sure. And he couldn't understand. Why they wouldn't bring him a prostitute? All he wanted was a prostitute.
0: Um, we we call them sex workers now.
2: Uh, well, okay. okay. Uh, this is according to Doctor <laughs> Sack's book. Okay. He he called them a prostitute. Sure. Yeah, sex worker. Whatever you want to call it. So yeah. So eventually, but he faded away too. They stopped giving him his um, oh. his medicine because of a similar types of situation where they kind of built up an immunity to it.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. And, uh, My mom
0: said that would happen.
2: Apparently, he didn't build up an immunity to his mas- chronic masturbation.
0: No, no. no. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah,
2: yeah. And our final story, um, according to Scientific American, Eleanor Carey, an eloquent young woman living in New York City, fell into a, beauty, a sleeping beauty-like trance in February of 1923. Many years later, she described these symptoms in a magazine article. She was one of the success stories where she did wake up. But um, didn't have uh, uh, immunity developed to the L-DOPA. Oh,
0: good. I'm glad that you're sharing one of these stories, too. Otherwise, it's just sad.
2: Just one. After two months, this is is what she said in a magazine article. After two months of illness, I was in little pain. In fact, that was very comfortable, provided they did not prod me, nor stand me on my head, or turn me over in bed, nor dash cold water on my face to awaken me. It was so heavenly just to be allowed to sleep these people around me seemed determined to prevent me from being comfortable. When the idea finally crept through my sleeping brain that I must awaken, it seemed to be physically impossible. I wanted to be obliging, but I just could not do it. It seemed to me to be just as difficult to come to consciousness as it would have been if I had been buried in a pit as deep as the center of the earth. Wow. Where the circular walls around me were so shiny and made of polished marble I could not find a crevice for my fingers on either side or any place to put my foot. But I must climb out of the pit with my bare hands. Perhaps it will give the reader a vague inkling of the dreadful lethargy which completely overpowers the victim of this disease and renders him Impotent to make the effort to help himself.
0: Yeah, it's like after uh, Thanksgiving dinner. That's how I feel. Just having eaten all that, I just feel like I'm in a
2: like a food coma. Yeah, I think this is a little bit of a difference.
0: <laughs> oh, all right.
2: From encephalitis lethargica sure. and too much right. pie.
0: No, you're right. Yeah. you're right. Let's just ruin my fun.
2: No, I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> Fortunately, there has not been an outbreak of uh, encephalitis lethargica uh, of that magnitude for um, for
0: many decades. Let's hope it doesn't happen again that is terribly sad also incredibly fascinating it is um the uh, and I, I brought up locked-in syndrome earlier the diving bell and the butterfly is one of my favorite movies it's just it's heartbreaking and amazing and the way that the brain works is mind-blowing and so it sounds like it's kind of a similar state and I, oh, oh.
2: There's another book that I read recently, and it, and it was a different uh, situation, but it was written by a, a guy named Martin Pistorius, and it's called Ghost Boy. Mm. And it's a autobiographical account of what happened to him when he was 16. He went into this locked-in. He was totally aware of what was going on, but nobody knew it. Mm. And he was abused in the care facility yeah. and he was aware of what was going on, but he couldn't he couldn't do anything. But then one day he woke up. That's a good book.
0: Yes. Oh, did he get his revenge?
2: Yes he did.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, he did. I wanna watch that movie.
2: It's not a movie, it's a book. It, it should probably, be a movie. It probably will be at some point. Yes. yes. Yeah. So now we got to watch Awakenings. We, we'll go home and watch that.
0: Yes, please. And The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Okay, that and, sounds good. And that new movie that hasn't been made yet.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. Yeah, Maybe we can time travel.
0: Sleeping Revenge. Bomb bomb bom. Sounds like a <laughs> Hallmark movie.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Thanks for joining us at uh, theboxofoddities.com. We have uh, social media all up at the wazoo. Yeah.
0: I will share a picture of one of them split hot dog wieners no. on our Instagram page. So you'll want to see that Uh, also follow us on twitter and facebook
2: and if you have suggestions for a topic you'd like us to research and explore you can send it to curator at theboxofoddities.com so i guess that's it goodbye
0: uh yeah okay
1: and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands therefore it's been requested by those of whom I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories—stories stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. Theboxofoddities.com on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018, all rights reserved.
2: Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast,
0: a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge.
2: It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.